Bill Frist, uh, former uh, United States Senator, was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. just a few years ago. Now, Frist is a thoracic surgeon by training, works on people's hearts. And prior to serving in the U.S. Senate, Frist performed over 150 heart transplants in the United States. While speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast just a few years ago, Frist talked in reverent tones about the moment when a new heart is grafted into a new body for the first time. And as one described in a book, that at that moment, Frist says, all of the surgical team waits anxiously in hopes that the heart will begin to beat again. And at that point, he he stopped talking in medical terms and started speaking more in spiritual terms. He almost seemed at a loss for words as he described that moment when this newly placed heart began to beat once again. He described it simply as a mystery. Now, heart transplants are a marvel of modern medicine. The heart goes way beyond what medicine can explain or understand. It's more than a pump. I mean, it's more than a pump that circulates 5,000 quarts of blood through 60,000 miles of blood vessels every day. The heart has a mind of its own. Studies have shown that the heart secretes brain-like hormones and has cellular memory. A heart transplant isn't physical, as one writer explained. A heart transplant is metaphysical. Heart transplants recipients don't just receive a new organ. They receive cellular memories. In his book, A Man After His Own Heart, Charles Siebert tells a story about an annual banquet that he attended for transplant recipients. And and in this description, he describes how deeply moved that he was at their profound appreciation for for their start over in life. The recipients in attendance spoke with appreciation and sincerity as they discussed the second chance that they had been given at life. They humbly acknowledged their responsibility at life for the sake of the one who donated the heart. Now, Siebert concluded in his research and other research has been supported in this that transplant recipients don't just receive a new heart. Along with this new heart, they receive a whole new set of sensory responses, cravings, and habits. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it's interesting that God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from your heart of stone, from you your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. You know, life is filled with all sorts of amazing moments, if you think about it. We could all come up with a great list of them. And whether for you it was winning the state championship with your high school team or or graduating from college, your wedding day, uh, the moment when your first child was born, or watching your favorite team win the Super Bowl, I mean, these are great moments. But nothing, nothing in this world compares to the moment when you or anyone gives their heart to Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it. And everything changes from all for eternity. That single decision sets off a spiritual chain reaction with incredible implications. A new child is adopted into God's family. A new name is written in the Lamb's book of life. An old heart is exchanged for a new heart. And when you give your heart to Christ, as the Bible teaches, God gives you a brand new heart. He gives you this brand new heart. And we're left, you and I are left as followers of Jesus with this need to show appreciation to the donor with the way that we live our lives. You know, the cellular memories that come with this transplanted heart give you whole new sensory responses and and cravings and habits. I mean, you literally feel different. 
You know, why is it that you feel different the moment that you give your life to Jesus Christ? Because all of a sudden you start feeling what Jesus feels. I mean, you get a sense of what Jesus feels. And chief amongst those emotions is, is care and compassion. We, we talked about that last week. We talked about the value of care and compassion, that Jesus is one who cares. He show, he's one that acts by showing compassion. We, we, and, and your heart breaks. You know, when you take on the heart of God, your heart begins to break for the things that break God's heart. And that's really what it's at the, the heart of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, to give every bit of yourself to him and followers of Jesus love with all their heart. Now we're asking, God, what is it that you want to do next through this church? But it applies to our lives too. The question is, God, what do you want for me next? And as we come out of this series where we were talking about the difference of being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus, you know, many of you have said, hey, with my life, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to simply be a fan of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus as the Bible has commanded me to do. And so we're asking, well, what's next? What, what does that look like? What does that look like for me? What does that look like for my family? God, what's next for me? I mean, we're called to be followers, not simply fans. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, which is kind of our theme verse for this series, it's kind of the thread that holds it all together. You know, it's here that we read Peter's writing to a group of Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire, but it's for you and me too. He's talking a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. And in 1 Peter two twenty-one, he says this, to this you were called. Hey, here's the life that God has called you to. Here's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Simply, hey, if you want to know how to live, look to Jesus. Model what Jesus did. Model what Jesus says. Act like Jesus acted. I mean, he's saying, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus, and this is what you're called to. And because Jesus has given his life for you, because in his death and his resurrection, you are able or have received this brand new heart, this new life, show gratitude to the donor by the way that you live. And so Peter is inviting you and I into this life of purpose. He's inviting us into a life of meaning. And more than Peter, God is calling us. He's, he's calling us to this way of living. He's saying, hey, here's what it means to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about care and compassion, that each of us is called to a life of care and compassion. This morning, I want to talk to you about generosity. Because I believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that you and I are called through the example of Jesus Christ to a life of generosity. And, and my great frustration with this subject, and probably the frustration that I've dealt with all week long is this, that I am not a, a good enough speaker there, there is no message that I could write. There's no illustration that I could give. There's no testimony that we could share from this stage that could possibly convince you of why this is so important for you to take into your life. It's completely out of my hands. It's totally up to the Holy Spirit. And if you struggle with this one, if you, if you resist this one, uh, only the Holy Spirit will possibly be able to change your heart in this and help you understand why there is truth in this message. And so this morning, I am praying that the Holy Spirit will show you that as Jesus Christ was called to live a generous life, as he modeled it with his own life, that you and I are called to do the same. As followers of Jesus, you and I are called to live generously. Generosity is defined this way. It's a readiness or a liberality in giving. Uh, it, it simply means it's sharing openly 
and freely from what you have already been given. I mean, we are called to generosity. We are, Jesus was generous and we're called to do the same. Now, generosity is not a natural attitude. It's not something that comes naturally for us. It's something that we have to work towards. In fact, each of us was born into a pretty incredibly selfish world. I mean, think about what's one of the first words that any child learns and they don't have to be taught. It's the word mine. All right. And maybe your kids aren't like that, but mine say it. You know, I mean, it's the word mine. You don't have to teach your child that word. It's like they learn it in the womb or something. It's written on the wall in there or whatever. But, you know, in fact, I saw I was listening to this sermon the other day, an illustration uh, that this pastor was using. He entitled it property law as viewed by a toddler. Property laws viewed by a toddler. It goes like this. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I had it first, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If you put it down, it's mine. If I put it down, it's still mine. If it's broken, it's yours. You can have it. I mean, isn't that the truth? I mean, it, it's, it's not only for kids. I mean, it continues on through our lives. It's like we're born with this attitude. You know, and you don't just walk into the world with this generous spirit. God puts that heart in you. And for some, it happens rather quickly. And for some, it's a lifelong journey of learning and understanding what it means to have a generous heart. But that potential is inside of you. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, that craving, that cellular memory is already inside of you as you have taken on a heart like God's. And God is calling us to this way of life. He's calling you and I to a greater way of living. We're, We're called to take His heart as followers of Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse seven, Paul is writing here. He's talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he says this, hey, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and sp- in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I mean, what's he saying? He's saying, hey, there's a number of things worth living for. And as a follower of Jesus, it's awesome to have great faith. And as a follower of Jesus, it's awesome to pray incredible prayers. And as a follower of Jesus, it's great to give your time. And it's great to be committed to God's word and studying it, understanding. It's wonderful to be in community with other people. But it's like he's saying, hey, there's one thing that I know is going to be easy for you to set to the side or forget all about and don't. Make sure you excel in the grace of giving. It means enough that I've set it apart from all the others. I mean, this giving, this generosity thing. I mean, it's a tough one for Christians. I mean, it's a tough one for me. I mean, it's a journey. It's easy to overlook this. It's difficult to let go of what we have been given for the sake of others. Now, here, here's the problem that I think we face. You know, as Christians, as people, we spend too much time thinking with our minds rather than our, our heart. I spend too much time thinking with my mind rather than my heart. I and mean, when we do this, you know, logical reasoning gets in the way of care and compassion and opportunities to show generosity and then we say things like it's not my responsibility or i'm not ready for this it's my money i I don't have enough i'm in a difficult season right now these are my things or does my gift really make a big deal anyways i mean in comparison it's going to be just this little or whatever i mean why why does this one moment why does this one opportunity you've given god me god make make any sense why does it really matter now i'm not saying that you shouldn't count the cost I'm not saying that in your life you shouldn't practice wisdom. I'm not even saying that there's not an opportunity to say no from time to time. But if God is speaking to your heart, if he's giving you an opportunity in your life right now, don't let your mind get in the way of what God wants you to do. 
Because sometimes loving God and sometimes loving Jesus with all your heart simply means listening to your heart and not your mind. You know, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan to help us better understand what his heart is like, especially when it comes to care, compassion, but also generosity. And, and with this parable, he's saying, hey, here's my heart. Here's the life that I want you to live. Here's this, this is what I have for you. We looked at this story last week, but let's look at it again briefly this week, the story of the Good Samaritan. And just to mix things up a little bit, I'll be reading from the message, which is a paraphrase of our scriptures. It says this, Jesus answered by telling a story. It's a parable, a believable story. But here's what Jesus is saying. There's once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by some robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him and angled across to the other side, then a Levite religious man showed up, but he also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him, and when he saw the man's condition, and listen to these words, I love him, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins, which, as we discussed last week, was comparable to two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. And then Jesus, when he was finished telling this story, he said, Hey, what do you think? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The guy responded, Hey, it's the one who treated him kindly, no doubt about it. And then Jesus said, Now go and do the same. I mean, pretty direct words. I mean, for then, but for now too. Jesus is saying, hey, whatever you see in this story, as you see this Samaritan man acting, that's the life that I'm calling you to. That's what's next. Briefly, I think it's interesting to point out that there are three groups of people that can easily be identified in this story. And, and if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I, I want to just show you three responses, three heart conditions in this story that we see revealed. Uh, the first heart response is what we see in the thieves and just kind of creatively. Uh, it's this, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. That's what we see in the thieves. And, and let's just sum it up with a key word. It's the word greed. It's the word greed. And we've got a lot of greed in the world today. I mean, it's this attitude that says, you know, I'll, I will do whatever I have to do to make it to the top. You know, industrialist and philanthropist John D. Rockefeller, uh, infamous answer to the question, how much is enough was one more dollar. You know, it's always about one more dollar. It, it was always about making one more dollar. And greed is this insatiable appetite for more. Can I get more? Can I make more? Enough is never enough. And here's the problem with greed. It directly opposes the heart of God. Greed directly opposes the heart of Jesus and the life that he has called us to live. We see it in the thieves in this story. You know, they saw something that they wanted and they took it. And and so maybe no one in this room today has a problem with stealing. You know, hopefully. But we all struggle with greed at varying levels. And, And for some, it's this attitude of discontentment. For some, it's this attitude of, of coveting, wanting something that someone else has. It, maybe it's lust. You know, we see things in other people that they have and, and we want them and there's a danger in this. And it's why Jesus said these words in Luke twelve fifteen. He said, hey, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
And Jesus said, watch out. It's not about what you have or what you earn in this life. You know, why did he say these words? Because he knew we would struggle with them. He knew that greed would be a great, uh, a great villain in our life. He knew we would struggle with greed. And so he said, watch out. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, it's like the old man who refused to give anything away. There's a story of this old man, and, and he, he was a wealthy man, and his life stream, his ambition was to collect as much as he could, but he refused to give any of it away. In fact, he told his wife, he said, hey, one day I'm going to die, and I want you to give nothing away. In fact, I want you to take all of my money and put it in a box and put it in my casket with me. And everyone knew about this. This woman even knew, I mean, she knew about this, but her family, her friends knew about it. Well, sure enough, the man passed away. There was the funeral. The casket was open, and the woman walked up, and she laid this small box in the coffin. And everyone looked and they couldn't believe what would happen. What was happening is, is this woman, she was honoring her husband's wishes by putting his things in there. Well, some of her friends and family rushed to her and said, did you really give in to his wishes? I said, no, don't worry. I just wrote him a check. So, yeah, that was a little bit better response than the first service. But come on, I'm a pastor. You know, I, we, we like it's a rite of passage. You get to tell a dumb joke once in a while. So we'll let that one go. But you get the point. So here's the point. We're all prone, prone to greed and and we all struggle with this, but God calls us to live generously. Well, I was hoping it'd go over a little bit better than that. There's another heart response or another condition that we, we see in this story. You know, these thieves uh, are examples of greed, but then we have the religious men, and they love and serve God, right? That's what they're committed to, but they pass to the other side of the road, or as the message says, they angled themselves to the other side of the road. In them, we see this. What is mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. In other words, hey, look, I work hard for what I have. I've set these goals. This is my stuff, and I'm going to keep it. The first word was greed. The second word here is the word selfishness. It's selfishness. It doesn't say that I'm going to take what you have or that I even want what you have. You know, it's saying I've worked hard for what I've got. This is my stuff, and I'm going to hang on to it. And once again, the Bible teaches that this sort of heart response you know, goes against the heart of God. I mean, God's word says that that's not really true. You know, God's attitude in all this is that everything that you and I have been given is a gift from God. It all belongs to God 100%. And he simply gives to you and me in order to give us the opportunity to leverage his resources for greater purposes, for kingdom work. And that's the way that J.C. Penney saw it. I mean, the person, you know, the founder, not, not the store, but as a young businessman, he made the decision to give away 10% of his income and live off of 90%. By the end of his life, he was giving 90% away and living off of 10%. He had a heart of generosity, a heart that God grew in him over a, a period of his life. You know, that's what I love about Genesis. Now, I, I believe that Genesis is a generous church. Uh, that this church is made up of generous people, that God is continuing to raise up generosity right here in this place. And, you know, it's not written on paper, but I believe that that's a value of who we are and that's a value that I want for this church in the future, that we will be constantly committed to generosity. And, and we've seen this in sacrificial gifts. Uh, we see it in, in regular giving and gifts for, for things like the Haiti crisis and gifts to, to Bethel Lutheran Food Pantry. You know, I've wondered, what would it look like for as a church to one day give away 50% of everything that was ever given? How awesome would that be? To say, you know, that God, we realize that we have needs here. We realize that we could, we could put all of this to work here for our own purposes. But God, we're choosing to live off of less because you're generous through us. And with us, God, we want to be generous with others. 
We want to be a part of greater things. It's why with our $450,000 goal, we've set a goal that 10% of every gift given will be given to outreach. And we don't know specifically where those gifts are going yet, but we believe you know, that through our obedience as a church that God is going to give us various opportunities to come alongside other ministries, ministries that are committed to helping people find their way back to God, and we can join in with them in what they're doing, and we can make a gift uh, to their great work, some of the things that maybe we're not able to do. You know, it's about having a greater impact, and that's what God calls us to. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. A final heart response here, this is the heart response that, that God calls us to. And again, it's a response that doesn't come naturally. It's something that we're called to. We have to respond to it, but we see it in the Good Samaritan. And that is that what's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. Now, that's the attitude this, this Samaritan demonstrated. And the key word here is generosity. It's saying that I'm going to share with what I have with others. And, and if you're like me, you know, I, I read an attitude like this and I'd say, well, there goes all the fun of life, right? I mean, if that's really the goal that 100% of I have has to be given away, well, where's the fun to enjoy life in that? But you know what? If, if you choose to believe Scripture and the promises that God has given to us through His Word, you have to know and understand that it's really quite the opposite. But you'll have to test God in this. Uh, this is one where I can't convince you, I can't have somebody share a story and hope to emotionally move you into action. You've got to test God in this one. You know, Psalm 112, verse 5, the psalmist says, Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Jesus cares. He shows compassion. We see that in the story of the Good Samaritan. It's what Jesus wants us to see. You know, that in this story, he's saying, hey, here's what I'm calling you to as followers of Jesus. But it's more than care and compassion. It's living a life of generosity. To, to come to this place with your life where you say, I realize that every bit of it is given to me by God. I want to share freely with what he has given for the sake of others. And again, it doesn't come natural. I mean, we, we have that potential in us. We have been given this heart. And because God is generous, we can be generous too. So what now? I mean, what, what do I do next? You know, and maybe for some of you, you're like, you know, I, I want to live out this life of generosity. But I don't know where to start. Or I, I've been living, I, I've been making these steps and I, and I give, but but I just have this uneasiness inside of me that God wants to take me to a greater level, that he wants to continue to do this work in me. I mean, what do you do about that? You know, maybe God will reveal to you, he'll help you understand what's next, but let me just give you a few thoughts and then we'll wrap up. You know, you decide what to do with these. You, know, you want to live generosity, just briefly, first thing is just do something. Just start being generous. I mean, every opportunity given to you as it presents itself, whether you're at school, on your college campus, you know, at work, you know, just respond. Do something. Buy your friend's lunch, even if it's the last 10 bucks that you have. You know, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to collect 
uh, food supplies again every month for Bethel Lutheran Food Pantry. Respond to that. Buy your friend some groceries because you know they're going through a tough time right now. You know, and, and make a commitment. You know, take, take this little post-it note, and we've got tables of them out there in our next zone, and, and write down your commitment. Hey, here's what I'm committing myself to. You know, I, I want to live a generous life. Here's an opportunity that I know will come up this week, and I'm going to respond. I'm going to say yes. And just allow God to start moving you in, in the small things because it's not about the size of the gift. It, it's about the response of our heart. It's about the attitude of our heart. Just start acting generous and as often as possible. And watch God do this work in you and give you a greater heart for generosity. Again, it's not about the gift or the size of the gift. It's about the attitude of your heart. The second thing is this, just do the right thing. You know, and, and a word here is the word obedience. And this, this is especially for Christians. This, this is for, for those of you who say with your life, I want to be a follower. I don't want to be a fan. I mean, God calls us to, in, in his word, he gives us some baseline giving. He, he gives us a starting place, and it's very clear in Scripture. And for some of you, it may seem high. It may seem a little ambitious, and the Bible calls it a tithe. It's what it means to take a tenth, 10%, a dime for every dollar of everything that you receive and, and give it back to God. One dime, it's saying, God, I, I trust you with this 10 cents. I, I trust you that I can live off of 90 cents just as much as I could live off of a dollar. I want to make a commitment to you saying that I trust you and I want to commit it to the work that you're doing uh, through my church. You know, you, you, he says, I, I want you to take 10%, everything you consider income, and give it to me. That's what God's word says. You know, Give it to the place you worship. Invest it there. Not in a charity, not in some other place outside. And it's okay to give to charities. It's okay to give to other places outside, but God says the first 10%, as the Bible says, to, your, to, to God's work through your church, to, through this church, or through whatever church is yours. Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, God says, hey, you're under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. God was acknowledging that at this time that not everybody got it or chose to respond to what he has called us to. And he says, hey, you're robbing me. And so he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then these words, test me in this. God says, hey, you don't believe it? Test me in it. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I mean, God says, hey, give it a try. You know, commit 10%. For my work. And the beauty of this command is that there's a promise. God doesn't owe us anything. But notice that He doesn't say, I'm going to take it. He continually gives us the opportunity to give it. And what's His promise? He said, Hey, if you commit yourself to this, I will bless you in ways that you can never possibly imagine. I mean, my wife and I continue to see this work in our lives. You know, and, and for us, we grew up in a church with wonderful parents, and church was a part of our life. But, but I don't think on either side our parents were ever really intentional about talking to us about the value of giving. I mean, it's something that we just had to jump into after we got married. And, and it was risky, and it didn't feel right, and it was frightening. But we were testing God in His promises And I stand here this morning, not as your pastor, but just as a fellow person that's walking through all of this with you and saying, God is faithful. 
He has provided and gone over and above for every need we have ever possibly had in our life. And I know that others would say the same. And we don't tithe because 10% belongs to God. The truth is that 100% of what you have belongs to God. And God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart, but he just knows that your heart usually ends up where your treasure is. Let me say this for many of you, and this has been my challenge, the greatest barrier that you will ever pass in your life in moving from fan to follower is right here with this one. It's trusting God with your money. I mean, it's coming to this place where you believe that it is all from him and that you're trusting God with it. And it's not about earning God's favor. I can promise you that you could never give a gift of money that would buy your salvation. It's not about making God happy. It's not about paying your dues or even following a set of rules. When you give, when you tithe, you're saying, God, I trust you. And that's what I want for each of you. And that's why we will talk about money from here on out until Jesus comes back. Because I know it's our greatest barrier. But my greatest prayer for you is that you will be able to say with every bit of your life that I trust God. That everything that I have is from Him and I'm going to trust Him with it. Third thing, do something else. I mean, maybe you've already got number two down, but, but just do something else. You know, we're, we're going, you know, it, it's saying, you know, remember God gives us a baseline. He gives us a starting place. But here's where generosity really kicks in. You know, it's saying, God, I, I trust you with everything, whatever you want to do. You know, sacrifice costs something. It, it's, it, it's maybe like this. Maybe it doesn't even have to do with money. It's stopping by the bagel shop on the way to work, and you've got to leave the home 30 minutes early to get bagels for the rest of the office, you know, because there's some time involved. There's an investment there. It's not just the 5 bucks or the 10 bucks you spend on bagels, but it's the time, you know, that it takes. Or, you know, you're doing something you don't have to do. It's, it's discerning in your spirit as you eat lunch this afternoon that your server could perhaps use 10 more dollars on their tip than you could use. And you just respond by saying, hey, I want to have this generous attitude. I want to make a sacrifice. Uh, It's like those who join the Junkie Car Club. Have you heard of this? There's actually a website called the Junkie Car Club. And Mike Foster came to this place in his life where he decided that the Infiniti G35 sports car uh, wasn't necessary and uh, he committed his life instead to a 1993 Toyota Camry clunker. And, and that's the way that he rolls. And you can go to the Junkie Car Club and you can join. And he's got friends from all over the world that have just simply said with their life that they're more passionate about giving. They're more passionate about social justice causes and are committed uh, to generosity. And, and so they've committed themselves to not driving expensive cars but driving clunkers. And some of you today are like, I'm a member of that and I didn't even know it, you know. I'm just, I'm already there. But just go sign up officially and you can be a part of it. But here's the thing. What if you and I came to this place in our life where we quit setting income goals and started establishing giving goals? Where we say, God, you know what? Everything that I have, I I think I can live off of this. And everything that you give me over and above, I'm going to give it towards your work. And would you send me some great opportunities? John Wesley once said, hey, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. We've got a great opportunity coming up with this this next project. Again, I'm just asking you to pray, God, what would you do through me? But maybe God would have some work through you. 
Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse three and four says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And then notice this phrase. Here's what's most important. Entirely on their own. Uh, Don't please don't give because I pressure you to give. Please don't give because you feel like somebody else is pressuring you. You know, being generous, taking on this heart of God and your giving. Do it entirely on your own as the spirit of God works through you. The last thing is maybe you're to this place right now, but do something bold. I mean, you want to have a generous heart. You want to trust God. And would you be willing to do something bold? I mean, it's praying this prayer. God, if you bless me supernaturally, if you show up in my life in this specific way, I will do even greater things for you. Now, I'll be a funnel, not a bucket. It's like a family that I talked with from here at Genesis. And I asked their permission to share this story back a few weeks ago. But sometime just in this previous year, this this 2010 that we're in, Uh, They really began to sense in their hearts that God was asking them to do more in their giving in this area of generosity But one of the things that was so overwhelming to them at the time was the amount of debt that they had in their life for a number of different reasons And so they prayed god if you would remove this debt from our life uh, We we will give it to you. We'll we'll do what we can to to give to your greater work Uh, This particular gentleman wasn't expecting to receive a bonus for his work in 2009. He'd been told no bonuses But just within a few weeks of praying that prayer, he was called into his boss's office. And his boss said, well, I've got some great news for you. Uh, Turns out things went differently. And he received a bonus for $70,000 for his work. You know what that family did? They immediately followed through obediently with the prayer that they prayed. And they committed a portion of that to God's work and then paid off the debt in their home. Would you test God in something? I don't know what it is. I can't come up with the story for you. But what would you say to God? God, if, if you would do this in my life right now, here's what I would do for you. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can have more things? No. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Short story, and then I close. I just finished reading this book called Primal by Mark Batterson. A great book where he tells a story about a guy by the name of Stanley Tam. Now, Tam Stanley was a a 93-year-old man living on the East Coast more than a half a century ago. Keep in mind, this guy is 93 He made a decision that changed the trajectory of his life forever. Stanley Tam made God his senior partner. At the time, the U.S. Plastics Corporation had an annual revenue of $200,000. And Stanley believed that God would bless his business and wanted to honor God from the very beginning of this great work. And so he legally transferred 51% of his business to God. He made God the chief partner. 51% of the profits were set aside for kingdom causes. Now, most of us would pat ourselves on the back at that time and say, hey, that's a pretty good run. I think I can make a life of this and and be all right. But for some reason, this man wasn't satisfied and he felt convicted and believing that God was leading him to more. And so on January 15th, 1955, every share of his stock was transferred to his senior partner and Stanley became a salaried employee of his very own company. Since that day that he made this defining decision, Stanley Tam has given away more than $100 million. 
Now, let's be clear about one thing. The point isn't that Stanley has given $100 million to God's work in this world. The point is that this particular man has given his heart to Jesus Christ. And that's all that God wants. That's all that he wants. You know, friends, God God wants us to be generous in every way, and that's with money, and that's with time. That's with the gifts that he's given to us. And to be generous is what it means to be a follower. But know this, and, and then we're done. God doesn't want your money. He only wants your heart. And the Bible says where your treasure is, that, that's where you find your heart. And the greatest act of generosity on this world, in this world, in all of history didn't happen in 1955 when Stanley Tan made the decision to become a salaried employee of his company. The greatest act of generosity in all of history is when God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you and me. That we could have forgiveness and that we could have life. Maybe today, the decision that you need to make isn't to start giving or to give more away, but it's just to simply give God your heart. And that's what's most important to him. After, after the service this morning, we'll have a group of people up front. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for Jesus. And I'll, I'll certainly say that modeling him is not the easiest. But it is the most worthwhile. And I thank you for Jesus and for what he's done for me. And for every person in this room today who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, we give you thanks for your generosity, for your graciousness and your goodness. And I pray for that man or woman, that student, that guy or gal here today who doesn't know you, that they would truly understand and know your love and your gift to each of us this morning in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.